You are listening to episode 390 of the GNU World Order. In this episode, we're going to go through a subset of packages installed on Slackware by default. We do this every episode, pretty much, going through the packages one by one of everything installed on a typical Linux system. I'm using Slackware because I use Slackware, but it, it does have a lot of the typical packages that are installed on Linux that a lot of us don't even realize are there because we just don't use them directly. So we're looking at them directly on this series. We have, we're, we're in the AP software series right now of Slackware, and we have come up to the V section, V as in Victor, and uh, in this in, in this episode we're going to be talking first, right now, about VBE tool. So I'm going to do info VBE tool, and it says that this is a tool to run real mode video BIOS code to alter hardware state. It's a pretty simple command syntax. It's a VBE tool and then some subcommand such as VBE state, VBE mode, VGA mode, DPMS, standby, post, VGA state, VBE, FP, and I think that's it. And then some property assigned to that subcommand. Now I can't I can't use all of these subcommands. I, actually, I can't use this tool at all on my main Slackware system. My main Slackware system is running at the NVIDIA drivers for the graphics, so VBE tool can't really communicate with the 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 1050 card that I have in here. But I brought out the laptop, my my old laptop, which was which is what the Chromebook that I mentioned several episodes ago sort of. Uh, replaces. So this laptop is a little bit on its last legs, to say the least. It doesn't really work unless it's plugged in, and even then it's not doing all that great. But it's doing well enough for me to have tried the VBE tool, and it doesn't... there's not a whole lot to this VBE tool. So um, VBE tool, for instance, VBE state get. Uh, It says no save or restore with kernel driver loaded. So the VBE state is the it uses apparently the visa vesa 0x4f0f extensions to save or restore hardware state this uh, will be sent to or read from standard in this information is highly hardware specific do not attempt to restore a state saved from a different saved uh, from a different machine this command will not work unless you are at a text console as it interferes badly with x and that's why it wouldn't work on my on my laptop. I can kill X on this laptop to then try that that command out, but honestly I don't feel like it's worth it, so I'm not going to. So let's try a different one. VBE tool DPMS. It's currently on. DPMS, um, let's see, what what does it say about this? It says uh, it uses the Visa 0x4F10 extensions, um, which you know obviously is a heck of a lot better than that that 0x4F0F extension. Um, the uh, I'm just saying that sarcastically, as if though I know what I'm talking about. Z- 0x4F10 extensions to alter the power management state of your screen. On, off, standby, suspend, and reduced are acceptable further options and determine which state will be activated, meaning is activated. Have you ever noticed that technical documentation has a really bad habit of speaking in the future tense? It's it's not that that's incorrect. It is in it, it's correct. It's just why position yourself in the past? Why why do that? Why not position yourself in the present and assume everything is happening as the person is reading? Uh, it's it's. It's, I think, a tonal thing, 
It just, I, to me, it sounds more certain and, and, and active if it is present. And it's also a verbosity thing. Um, we, we keep doing like VBE tool will use the visa blah, blah, blah extensions. Well, why not just VBE tool uses the visa blah extension to alter the power management state of your screen? Simple. Much simpler. Further options and determine which state will be activated. No, further options and determine which state is activated. It's just it's it's just a shorter, kind of easier read when it's present tense. Anyway, VBE tool DPMS off. So, um, well, actually, you know what? I'm going to do on first because I happen to know that once I do this, my screen will go off. So I'm going to go on first, and the reason I'm doing that is because then what I can do is I can do VBE tool off, and once it's off, I'll just hit the up arrow and and or twice, I guess, and then activate the on again. Okay, so VBE tool DPMS off, and the screen is off now. So it just, it turns your screen off. So I'm hitting the up arrow, that, that should be recalling the off. Up arrow again, should have just recalled on. I hit return, and sure enough, the screen comes back on. So that is a, a very direct way of turning off your, your screen, just shutting it down. So that's kind of kind of interesting. Uh, standby and suspend and reduced, I feel like they should work, but I'm a little bit nervous to try it because I, I'm just, I don't, I mean, this laptop in the past has done well with waking up from being asleep. Like, that's not been a problem with this laptop. So I do feel like it should be okay, but I'm just, uh, the laptop, as I said, it got replaced for a reason. So this, um, this, yeah, I don't have a whole lot of faith in it lately. Okay. So there's VBE mode, which will get. It gets or sets the current visa mode. Get returns, not will return, returns the current mode number on standard out. Set will set, um, will set the mode to the next argument. Okay, so we'll, we'll just do VBE tool and then VBE mode and we'll just say get. And it says no save or restore with kernel driver loaded. So that must be another one that I can't use without, with, with X running. Now there's also something about a VGA mode and I, I know nothing about that VGA really. And I'm just going to try get on that one. And yeah, same thing. I guess it doesn't like to have X, uh, running when it does that. Okay. So, um, there's also a post option or, or subcommand. VBE tool attempts to run BIOS code located at C000 This is the code run by the system BIOS at boot in order to initialize the video hardware. Note that on some machines, especially laptops, not all of this code is present after the system boot. As a result, executing this command may result in undefined behavior. This command must be run from a text console as it will otherwise interfere with the operation of X. So the command takes an optional argument, which is the location of a file containing a ROM image. If provided, this command, this image is mapped to C000 segment and used instead of the system's video BIOS. So that sounds very cool. Um, unfortunately, I don't know a whole lot about that at the end of this little segment, which is coming up very soon here, I think I might try a, a post command just for kicks. And then VGA state enables or disables the current video card. Um, I don't really want to do that. Um, and, and it says specifically you don't want to do this if you're using a frame buffer. So th that seems VGA state would, would sounds like it, it's going to turn off the, the 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 output of my laptop, like v any visual output, and I, I don't want to do that. But I can understand why someone testing hardware and, and that sort of thing would want to do that, but I would have to be SSH'd in, 
and I, I don't want to um, bother with doing that. So then there's finally the VBEFP option, which executes a Visa flat panel interface call. So we have a couple of different um, options here. We have VBE tool and then VBE FP flat panel. And I can do panel ID to get the, uh, to get information about the panel. And that's not telling me a whole lot. It says the size is zero and zero. The type is zero and the BPP is zero, 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 zero. That does not sound accurate to me. I can, I'm supposed to be able to say panel size as well. And I get zero by zero. So that doesn't sound super accurate as well. Should be able to get brightness. I'm assuming that that's going to return nonsense. Real mode call failed, so that didn't work. Okay, so it sounds like it's probably time to get out of X here. I'm going to log out of my X session. Well, first I have to log out of the des des desktop, and then I have to go to menu and go to console login, and it's warning me that that'll stop a bunch of stuff. Okay, so I'm going to um, log in here as root because VBE tool is stored in user sbin, so I would not have access to that tool otherwise. Okay, so I'm going to do a VBE tool post. Well, actually, I guess let's let's do the safe stuff first. VBE tool, VBE, uh, VBE FP, and then panel ID. No, it's still a bunch of zeros. That's, that's kind of surprising to me. Let's get brightness. Let's try that one. Real mode call failed. Okay, so that's not working either. So there must be some subtlety about video BIOS or VGA mode or something that I don't understand because um, this doesn't really have any fancy drivers running on it. This is just, this is pretty basic low-level stuff. I mean, it has, it does have a driver run, you know, it's, it's got the Intel video driver running, so it, it is not, it, it's not in VESA mode or whatever. So, so I can understand potentially why that that wouldn't work. But let's let's just try VBE tool post, and then I'm I'm pretty sure that the um, the bitmap for Slackware is yep it is it's located in slash boot slash. I guess there's a couple of different ones. I have one called onlyblue.bmp, which that sounds good enough to me. So that's VBE tool post, and then a path to a bitmap file. I'm going to hit return and see what happens. Absolutely nothing happens. Uh, and if I do VBE tool post, nothing happens. So I guess, I guess that's that. Um, there's one more other, there, there's one more thing I wanted to try, which was VBE FP invert. Because that's supposed to invert, no, and that didn't work either. That's supposed to invert the colors of the screen. Okay. So there you go. That's a VBE tool. It's a way to mess around with your video BIOS, whatever that means. Um, Certainly, I, I imagine this tool is very, very useful for hardware hardware hackers, people who understand the low-level sort of calls made out to to the, the 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 chips, the very chips sort of you know soldered onto your motherboard. Um, it's fancy stuff, and it'd be neat to understand it, but that's not that is not where I am right now. So there you go, VBE tool. I did I did try to load it onto a couple of other things. I mean half-heartedly try. Tried to get it onto uh, one of my Raspberry Pis, and that didn't really... it wasn't... it's not in the Fedora repository, apparently, so that didn't go over too well. Uh, so yeah, in general, I think that it's a pretty specialized tool. It's interesting that it's packaged by default with Slackware. I, I wonder if it is something... I mean, it might just be something that's small enough. I mean, it is... it's 15 kilobytes or something like that, so it is not a very large package. And I wonder if it's just one of those things that just it makes it makes more sense to include it than not, or if it is one of those things that is a legacy tool that people would have used at one point a lot more, and now that that you know X is uh, what is it what what do they call it 
um, I don't know, bulletproof X or something like that. They had some term that they were talking about how X is kind of, it's very robust now. And I mean, anyway, it's on the way out, right? We've got Wayland all over the place now. So I'm not too sure how, how useful VBE tool is for a general user. I wonder if it was useful and just is still in Slackware from just by force of habit uh, or and backwards compatibility, like making sure that Slackware, you've got all the tools that you need to get it onto more machines than, than maybe otherwise. I mean, honestly, I would imagine that as a X64, X, yeah, X64 um, tool, I, I wonder uh, if, if there was going to be a divergence between Slackware and Slackware 64, in other words, I could see this package being lost because I can't imagine a 64 bit capable computer having to you you having to resort to vbe tool to get to get a display working or something like that i don't know anyway vbe tool interesting little um little command for hardware stuff try it out if you dare do be careful though it it can affect it can it can affect things it can make your computer screen go black and you will not be able to see what you are doing that sort of thing so make sure that you've got different methods of sort of recovering from silly things that you've tried okay let's go get a cup of coffee then we'll come back and we'll talk about vim <laughs> have a cup of coffee. I've got a cup of coffee, and boy, is it good. Let's talk about Vim, or or Vi. So let's talk about Vi first, because that was the first one. So the original Vi editor, that's VI editor, was an application written by a guy named Bill Joy, who you may already know as the creator of the Seashell. Now, like the Seashell, which people still talk about, but usually they actually mean TCSH, not just CSH, or that's what I argue. I guess some people may really mean CSH, but in my experience, I've seen a lot more TCSH than just CSH. And similar to that, I've I've seen a lot more Vim than Vi. So Vi, in its original, actual, sort of pure form, is is it's a it's a bit difficult to use, to be honest. Like if if you if you're a Linux user and you have developed skills on Vim, going back to Vi is noticeable. You start to notice little convenience features that you took for granted in Vim are now gone. It is a little bit like being an Emacs user with your own cool .emacs file with bunch a bunch of customizations and then suddenly trying to use just plain old Emacs with with no .emacs file. Just some of the the things that you take for granted, the, the quick efficiency things that you've designed for yourself or you've stolen from other people, they're just gone all of a sudden. So when people say, "Oh, I use Vi," I think nine times out of ten they actually mean, "Oh, I use Vim." And and I would be I'd I'd be willing to argue that point. I don't have the numbers to back my argument up, but that's what that's my belief. Today we have various incarnations, let's say, of of Vi. There is Vim, which I think is probably the most common and sort of the most recognizable. There's Vim, there's NeoVim, there's GVim, which is a 
GUI uh, wrapping for, for Vim. There's NVI, which you'll find on some BSDs. There's Elvis, which you find on Slackware. And there are even spin-offs. Like, there's this editor called the... I don't know how to say it. Cacoon? Cacoon? K-A-K-O-U-N-E, I think. And it is... It's quite Vim-like. And, I mean, there's... There's a Vim mode, essentially, for Emacs. You can use Emacs by... Uh, but but you can use Vim keyboard shortcuts. So it doesn't feel like you're using Emacs. It feels like you're using Vim, at least superficially. As a friend of mine on Mastodon pointed out, he, he, he decided to try Emacs. And he tried, I think... No, I think he tried... Yeah, he didn't try the Vim mode, I think, because he wanted to try Emacs as Emacs sort of presents itself. But the one thing that he was missing from that, and I believe... I don't remember if if this was provided by Vim mode, or if he just... And and he just didn't want to do that, or what. But he was was missing some of the... um, the search f- features, searching, searching by by regex, I think. Um, I mean, there is there is searching by regex in in Emacs natively, but the syntax for doing that was sort of a sed like syntax in Vim, and that's what he was used to. And the fact that Emacs didn't have anything built in to provide that was kind of the deal breaker for him, which is fair. And, and that's I think sort of the thing about the legendary Emacs versus Vim debate, which I think, if for so, yeah, I don't know why, it's, it's, it's something that's so silly at this point that I almost don't want to dignify it with talking about it, but I, I guess at one point that was a fun thing for people to debate. And, and I get that. There, it is fun sometimes to sort of lightly rib each other about your, your tool of choice. I mean, it's, it's easy to do that, for instance, with KDE versus GNOME. You could, you can easily do that. You can say, well, maybe if you'd use a real desktop like KDE, blah, 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 blah. And it's, it's, it's an obvious kind of all-in-fun sort of debate. And as long as we all remember that it is all-in-fun, I think that it's not super harmful. And I've, I definitely have, have engaged in that myself. I think lately it has become less fun for me because I've realized that it's hard for humans sometimes to remember that debate is all is being done all in fun. I think that that can be sometimes a difficult thing to rem- remember. And there's enough debate in the world, I think, right now that isn't fun that maybe debate in computing, quote, for fun, it just, I, I think some of the fun has gotten taken out of it. At least for me, that's kind of how, where I'm at right now. So the Emacs and Vim debate of of your has has probably i mean it's definitely fallen off at this point no one really i don't think anyone actually cares but but i i think it is kind of a distracting debate it can be a distracting debate because it it to to new users i think they they come in and they hear people arguing about emacs versus vim and they think that it actually matters and it doesn't really matter. There are lots of text editors in Linux. You can choose any one of them for yourself. The one that you prefer for any reason is the right answer. It doesn't have to be a good reason. It can be any reason. And the one that I've personally settled on, as I've said before, pretty much is Emacs because that's the... the, I got used to it at a job and it's just kind of... it's, it's a really pleasant tool to use. And so I continue to use it. I used to use Vim a lot more, but I really, really fell off using Vim even, even for, even for small tasks when I switched to the Dvorak keyboard because the keyboard commands just don't make any sense anymore. And the keyboard commands for the record, um, are H for going left, J for going down, and people 
tend to remember that, I think, because a J kind of looks like a downward-pointing arrow. That's kind of what I've heard as the, the mnemonic to remember that. K is up, and L is moving your cursor to the right. Those are the quintessential Vim navigation controls. But before you can even get into that, you kind of need to know the significance of the escape key. And the escape key is the toggle that activates command mode. Well, actually, I shouldn't say it's a toggle. It is not a toggle. It is it is the command mode button. You can press escape once. You can hit it three times, eight times. It doesn't matter. Once you hit escape and you're in Vim, you are now in command mode. That's important because that means that things that you type on your keyboard no longer appear in your Vim window because your keyboard presses, instead of being passed into Vim, are being intercepted by this, but by the command mode. So you are now instructing Vim to do things sort of as an editor rather than as a typist. If that makes any sense. So you'll be pressing escape a lot if you're hanging out in Vim. That's what I have always found. Uh, because there is a slight tendency to forget which mode you're in, at least for me. So I'll hit escape a couple of times just just to, to sort of remind myself, yes, you are in command mode right now. So once you're in command mode, if you've hit escape, then yes, you can press H to move your cursor left, H or, um, J to move it down, K up, L right and so on. But there's other stuff too. You you don't have to just navigate character by character. You have other other options such as you can in com again, this has to be in command mode. If you press 0, you go to the beginning of the line, and if you press the dollar sign, so that's shift 4 for me at least, then you get to the end of the line. And when I say the end of the line, I mean the the final character of the line. So in my in my current document, I have typed this is a test, full stop. And so when I hit dollar sign, my cursor is now hovering over the dot, which means that if I wanted to continue typing, I would want to type after the dot. Uh, unless I wanted to add to that sentence, this is a test space sentence, I could do that as well. So there are two different insert um, commands. There is, well, there's probably more than that, but th there are two primary insert commands that I know of, and that is the letter A to append, and the letter I to insert. So if I do a, well, if I do I, so, well, no, wait, first, slow down. This is a test, dot. I am hovering on the dot. So I'm going to hit I, and I am now in insert mode. And in GVim, my cursor changes from a block cursor to kind of a blinking pipe, which I find quite helpful. Uh, this is a test space sentence. There, now I've now I've inserted the word sentence before the dot. So now I have a full sentence called this is a test sentence full stop. Perfect. Okay. So now in order to get back into command mode, of course, so that I can navigate again, because now if I if I press H, well then, well first of all, I'm pressing D because I'm on a Dvorak keyboard. So where's my H on here? Um, right here. Okay, here. So if I press J, the J key on my keyboard, it, to it, which actually is H, um, it just types in. It just types in letters, right? That's not what I want. I want to, I want to navigate now. So in order to do that, to get to get back out of the typing mode, it's the escape key. And again, in GVim, your cursor changes, which is really really helpful. I wish I'd used GVim a long, long time ago. This is great. Um, I usually, I used to use just Vim, and and I would always forget which mode I was in. But this is really nice. Okay, so zero gets me to. Oh, that's the beginning of the sentence. Sorry, I meant uh, dollar sign to get to the end of the sentence. And then I, now I'm again on the dot. 
So I can hit A. So now I'm back in insert mode, but I'm in append. So I'm on the right side of the sentence uh, of the dot. And so I could say um, this is a second sentence, and then that's it. So cool. Okay. So that's using Vim on a very basic basic level. And it's interesting because in insert mode, at least in Vim proper Vim you can do sort of normal feeling things. Like you can use arrow keys to navigate, you can use your forward delete key, your backspace key, all kinds of fancy things that I think in Vi not all of that really actually worked. But um, maybe, maybe it does, I, I could be wrong. I'm actually gonna, I'm gonna remove that space, I'm gonna put both sentences on separate lines because that's just how I prefer to do things. And I'll give this title, I'll do test document in them. There, now I've got a title formatted as ASCII doc. I've got some sentences. feel pretty good about this document now. Okay, um, so one of the things that you can do in command mode as well is delete things. So, for instance, if you wanted to uh, delete backwards, you can hit the X key, again, in command mode, and that deletes the character upon which your cursor is resting. So, for instance, if I go to the end of the line, dollar sign, and I'm on the dot. Now, of course, if there's a blank space at the end of the line, then I would have moved to to the blank space. But let's assume that there's not. I go to the dot. Now, if I hit X, the dot disappears, and my cursor is moved, shunted over to the left, over the, in this case, over the D character of this is a second. I can also... I'll move to the beginning of the line again, zero. Uh, I can also hit D for delete, and then d delete again, and that deletes the whole line. Or I could have, for instance, uh, let's move, let's move to just uh, the word second, and then hit D, and then dollar sign for the end of the line, and that deletes everything from the place where my cursor is to the end of the line. So I think you kind of get the idea. There's lots of commands like that. And I think that's the beauty of, well, of a proper text editor, really. I mean, that's the kind of very fine-grained functionality that I love about Vim, and that I love about Emacs as well. Because, I mean, you just can't, like, if you're in LibreOffice or something, to delete just a word out of the middle of a sentence, for instance. I mean, you can do it, you know, and if you're very good at LibreOffice, you probably know the keyboard shortcuts to select just that word quickly and then hit delete. It's something that you can do, but I, I typically see people going to the mouse, going to the word, double-clicking the word to select it, and then deleting it, and it just feels so slow. And I know, like I say, there's, 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 a lot of keyboard-centric stuff in LibreOffice and other editors, but for Vim and Emacs, it just kind of seems like those those functions get blurred into just typing. And so, it, to an outside observer, I don't believe you would know whether I was typing out a phrase or whether I was issuing commands to my editor. That kind of seamless integration is, is kind of unique and, and it's certainly very, very powerful. Another thing that sets these sort of professional, serious text editors from other ones are the plugins. And this is getting, I guess, less unique now. It feels like a lot of text editors out there have kind of caught on to the idea that, hey, we should be able to extend, users should be able to extend their environment and 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 customize it and so on. So that seems to be pretty typical now. But it's it's kind of cool that you can you can use Vim uh, because it's it's Vim is the editor. It is the editor that you're going to encounter on any Linux machine that you sit in front of. 
almost without exception. So if you, if that's your editor, you kind of, you very much inherit this luxury of just being able to count on that being there. That, that is a, a, that is really nice. Like, I can't count on that for Emacs. That's not a given. I, I have to bring my own E3 Emacs or my Micromax or my whatever, or Jove, whatever, because, because I can't count on JMax. Um, I, I can't count on Emacs being on every box or on any box. Vim is literally part of the POSIX spec. It is, it, it, something like Vim is going to be on whatever POSIX machine you sit in front of. Now, whether it'll be Vim with all the extension abilities and stuff, it, that, that is a little bit, that, that's a little bit less, that's a less of a given. But it's still a luxury to just know that you're going to be familiar with your editor, w- with that editor, no matter what. But what makes Vim really nice, uh, as kind of a thing that you want to just kind of stay in all day are the extensions. Cause Vim alone is, it's, it's a text editor. It's a very, efficient, fast, and powerful text editor. Lots of cool features, but I don't think you'd probably want to, like, just sort of hang out there all day long unless you had plugins. And there are some really, really useful plugins out there. For instance, there's, um, Nerd Tree is what it's called. N-E-R-D-T-R-E-E. It's a text-based file manager for Vim. So you can have, uh, sort of a side panel with a file system tree on it, so you can kind of look through your your files and load different files up and so on. Kind of, it's almost a step towards that sort of mythical Vim is my IDE status. I mean, there there'd be a lot more to an IDE than just having a file browser, but y- you know what I mean. Okay, so a Vim package is any directory. Well, not any directory. It is a directory containing one or more plugins. And by default, your Vim settings are contained in your home directory in a folder called .vim. And so that's where Vim looks for plugins when you launch it. So when you start up Vim, the first thing that it does is process your .vimrc file, and then it scans all directories in $home slash .vim for plugins. And plugins are contained in a file structure starting with pack, P-A-C-K, slash something, slash start. You might not have a .vim folder in your home directory, so if you don't, you can create one uh, with that with that structure, dot, .vim, slash pack, uh, and then slash vendor, slash start, uh, you could do, uh, because vendor, for me, would would indicate that it's it's not from me it's not my personal ones it's something from some other from a third party so if you wanted to for instance install this nerd tree plugin you could download it with git you'd git clone dash dash depth one if you don't care about the the history of it github.com slash preserve vim p-r-e-s-e-r v-i-m nerdtree.git and pop that over into dollar sign home slash dot vim slash pack slash vendor slash start slash nerd tree. Then you launch vim or gvim, do a um, escape colon nerd tree, that's capital N-E-R-D-T and then lowercase R-E-E, and you get nerd tree loaded into your into your window. Completely changes the interface. It's it's really cool. So, the, and there are, you know, lots of plugins out there. You can find them for Vim. Lots of different things. There's even a plugin to manage plugins called Vim-plug, I think it is. So, it's, um, yeah, it's pretty useful. You can extend Vim and make it work better for you. There's a lot more to Vim than what I'm covering here, obviously. I mean, there are ways to copy and paste, believe it or not. Yes. Uh, there are ways to open files. 
there are ways to undo. I could just list all of the all of the um, the keyboard shortcuts, and they would be ridiculous. I mean, things like U for undo, E to open, P to paste, and so on. But you're you're not gonna like remember remember those things, so I don't I don't see the point. Um, but that's fine because you'll of course want to learn it for yourself ultimately. So the way that you could learn Vim, and this is the way that I way back when first started to learn Vim, is uh, a program called Vim Tutor, or if you prefer the GVim version, GVim Tutor, and it opens Vim with uh, in a file that is designed to to introduce you to the basics of Vim. It's a really useful thing to step through if you've never if you've never used Vim before. You definitely want to go through this tutorial. It's very very useful. So that's either Vim Tutor or GVim Tutor. You will not regret it. It it kind of gives you an introductory lesson in in navigating and editing and uh, some of the some of the nice convenience functions that you're going to start to want to use. And, and then from there, it's just a matter of exploring really Vim's documentation and other people who use Vim to find out the, the really cool methods of quickly doing things that you find yourself doing frequently. I mean, it gets pretty esoteric, to be honest. I mean, there's, there's stuff like uh, type 2w to move the cursor two words forward. Like, who would ever think to do that at all? Well, maybe you 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 would maybe you do that frequently maybe you you think that's a a, a perfect thing um, to do three e to move the cursor to the end of the third word forward all kinds of crazy shortcuts that you just wouldn't think to even necessarily look for some of those are in Vim Tutor the the two w and the three e or I mean it doesn't have to be two w it could be six w six words forward you get the idea. Um, but some of them are there in Vim Tutor some of them are just out there on the internet or or in the Vim Vim uh, documentation. So check that out. I think that's about all I can really say about Vim because frankly, that's that's probably it's doing a disservice to Vim for me to talk about it at all because I haven't used it in ages in any earnest sense. And um there are obviously a lot a lot of people out there who are much more familiar with Vim than I am and probably have a lot more insightful things to say about it. So obviously if you're interested in Vim, go pursue that with someone who who uses Vim, not with someone who uses Emacs. And frankly who who doesn't really love Vim. I I don't I know I said it's silly to have the Vim versus Emacs wars and and honestly this isn't a Vim versus Emacs war. I I do think that it's silly for distributions as I've said before to default to Vim as the text editor. I really do sincerely think that that's a, a mistake. I think that's not user-friendly. I don't believe that that helps new users warm up to Linux or Unix, and I think that Nano, GNU Nano, would be a, a much smarter choice for the default editor of a system. So those are my thoughts on that subject. Uh, and if Nano's too big, you know, you could use, uh, what is it, uh, I think Joe, I think, or is it Joe, or is it, um, I don't know, Joe or Jed or... E3. One of those three, or maybe all of them, have a Pico mode, which essentially is a nano mode, and you can navigate around using keyboard shortcuts that are just displayed right there on your screen in plain English, right there, right in front of you. Much more user-friendly, much better for the new user. Them, great for, 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 for sort of pros who, who want to really, really learn 
or who who already know Vim and and or who want to know Vim and and get really good at it, that's great. But it's not for everybody, and I think it's time that we all sort of collectively realize that. Because I mean, and frankly, Emacs is not for everybody. I wouldn't set that in front of anyone. It's just not not when we have so many other choices available to us. So it's important, I think. I think the text editor, quote-unquote, war is kind of an important topic. It's just not about what we typically, um, in, in the cliché, argue about. It's not Emacs versus Vim. It's, it's both of those versus something simple and sane and self-documenting. Or, or rather, um, clearly documented. That sort of that's that's what we want. I think. I was playing around with FreeDOS the other day, and uh, I know nothing about DOS, so FreeDOS was kind of a, a new experience for me. And I found out that there's a command there in FreeDOS called Edit. I assume it was also in the original MS DOS or PC DOS or whatever it was. Um, and it takes you to this sort of in in the uh, terminal or, or command line or whatever they call it in DOS, an editor right there in in your you know, in your terminal or whatever they call it in DOS. And it's great. It's got like a menu along the top and it's it's just so obvious and easy to use. I, I don't remember if they tell you how to get into the menu. I think I might have had to figure that out myself. But usability-wise, it was just, it was a really nice editor. And I thought, this is exactly what the the POSIXs want and need. And, and I think if I had to continue to complain about things, I, I would probably complain that words like edit and install common sort of help like these words are being clobbered by minor functions that have nothing to do with with what a normal person sitting in front of the computer would intuit that they would do install doesn't do what you would think it would do you for that you need dnf or apt who knew it should just be install uh, edit i don't know what edit would do edit nothing edit does nothing help of course brings up like a list of bash built-in commands or something not not help about your system and so on. So I, I yeah, I think usability-wise, I think there are some improvements there that we could we could look towards. And one of those usability, one of those improvements would be don't default to Vim. That's not the thing to give people by default. Let people opt into Vim. Do not force it upon them or Emacs for that matter. It doesn't matter. Okay, let's talk about what's next. What is next is Vorbis tools. Vorbis tools is something that I use every single time I release a podcast episode because there is Vorbis Comment, VCut, AugInfo, AugInc, use that, AugDeck, and Aug123. So Aug123 is a, a, a player, a music player, or specifically an AugVorbis file player. So Aug123 reads AugVorbis files, audio files, and decodes them to the device specified. By default, it writes to the standard sound device, but you can send it to other places as well. So, um, AUG123, I mean, the way that I use it, when I use it, is I type in AUG123 and then the path to an AUG file that I want to hear in, from, that I want to hear on my computer. Uh, and that's, it's as simple as that, really. It is just, it's that quick. Now, you can do interesting things with it. For instance, you can do AUG123 dash dash skip, um, I don't know, 10. And then it would skip the first 10 seconds of that audio file and start playing 10, 10 seconds in. I don't know why you'd want to do that, but you could. And it's a useful thing. You can also do dash dash end, and it will end at that point. So, really, there's, there's a little bit of editing going on here if you wanted it to. Because you could do skip, 10, end, I don't know, 20, then you've got a 10 second sample of your song, and then you can do dash dash file and give it a file name, and then it, it pipes the output of your command, your start and end, or your skip and end command, into a file. 
So you've just you've just created a new og file by by playing an existing og file or a portion of that existing og file into into a, a dedicated file. So that's quite it's quite useful uh, in theory. I mean, I I don't use it myself, but I could see myself using it at some point. It's it's really a very simple and quick little audio editor. Uh, you can also do uh, dash dash shuffle for playback. So if you give it twenty different files, but you don't want to hear them necessarily in the in the order provided, then just dash dash shuffle, and now it'll shuffle it. It'll play it in a, a pseudo random order. You can do a dash dash repeat. It'll play it. Uh, on on repeat. It can do dash dash random, which will play the files in the pseudo random order forever. So it, it it it's not a shuffle plays each song once. Random plays it in a in a pseudo random order as many times you know just whenever it'll just keep playing songs forever. Um, so that's that's Og one two three really. That's kind of kind of it. I, I can't think of a whole lot else. I mean there are other options, but I don't feel like they're all that interesting. Uh, and and a lot of them are very specific to the sound driver you are sending Og to. So Og one two three honestly I usually just when I'm using Og123, it is because I want to hear something quickly from a terminal, and and that's that's all. So it's not my primary music player. If it were my primary music player, I would set the device to pulse, probably. And then that way I could control the volume and stuff through my little pulse um, window. So I, I think that that's probably what I would generally do. But honestly, I, I usually just don't even bother. I just... I just play it because I just needed to hear something for for a quick reference. Um, and the, the device that you're sending it to is dash, you, you define that with a dash dash device or just dash D if you're lazy, dash D pulse or dash D ulsa or whatever system you want to send it to. So that's aug123. Alright, let's do an info on augdeck. Augdeck is, oh that one failed. That did not bring me the man page of augdecoder. That's interesting. Why didn't it do that? Og oh, because I mistyped Ogdeck. Okay, there we go. So info is is, is okay. Um, info Ogdeck is a simple decoder, Ogvorbis file, uh, and it outputs it to, for instance, well, a PCM audio file, which generally means it's going to be a WAV file, or I guess if you wanted to go out raw, you could do that. I don't know why you would, though. So um, this is a simple conversion application, or a simple conversion command and it, it's basically removing the encoding from the og file. Now, this is a lossy format, og vorbis is, so if you are decoding an og vorbis file, then you are you are not regaining what you've compressed. You are simply converting your compressed audio into a, let's just say, a standardized format, which would be wave. And by that I mean just kind of the de, de facto PCM audio container. But you haven't, like, unlocked a, a, a frequency spectrum that you'd been suppressing because you didn't suppress it, you just discarded it, you just got rid of it, you compressed your sound. So that's just kind of a, a word of warning, I guess. This is still a useful command, though, because quite frequently you'll run into a command somewhere in your toolchain that cannot operate against an augvorbis file, but it can operate against a WAV file. So sometimes you just have to go out to that sort of standardized format in order to then convert it to something else. I think speaks in code was bizarrely picky about that itself. There was no function in speaks decode to sort of, or encode rather, to decode an aug file and then and then operate against it. So I, I at least I at one point I was maybe I still am. I, I had to I had to encode to a temporary wave file for for some other conversion command. Um, 
and that that always bugs me. But um, I mean, in a small way, it's it's not a it's not a grievous error, and I don't even remember which application it was. Anyway, og deck deck for decode is uh it's it's useful for 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 conversion. It's a quick easy way to convert your Vorbis files. Can you do it with half of a dozen other tools like Socks, which we talked about a couple of episodes ago, or FFmpeg, or I don't know others? Yes, you can. But Ogdeck is um, is sort of the easy and built-in bundled way to do it with Vorbis tools. the The command syntax itself is pretty simple. It's Ogdeck space example.og, and that renders example.wave. You could also, like I say, go out to a raw file, so that's got no headers, and so you just got raw PCM audio, uh, which would be ogdeek deck space dash dash raw equals one example.og. Then you get an example.raw file. And yeah, that's about it, really. I mean, there's other there's other options like dash B for your bits per sample, 8 or 16, dash E for Indian if you need to change that for some reason, and so on. So there are, there are a couple of different options in there, but it's it's not a very complex application. The opposite of og, uh, of og deck is, as you might imagine, og inc, which is encode audio into og vorbis. And this is a an application that I use literally every time I release a podcast because it is the application that I use to convert from the FLAC source down to og vorbis. The syntax is pretty simple. It is og inc example.flac or example.wave or whatever you're coming from and and that outputs the a file called example.og. Pretty easy. You can specify a different file name, og inc example.flac-o for output and then, you know, I don't know, GNU world order underscore 390.og, something like that. I don't I don't do that. I structure all my file names so I don't have to bother about renaming things upon output. You can define your bitrate with a dash B. This is something that you can do, although I feel like in the AUG world it's more typical, maybe, to just use the dash Q option, which is uh, the quality of the AUG. And there's a scale one, I think, one to ten or zero to ten or something like that on on the quality that you want, and I usually set mine sort of smack dab in the middle, five, five, six, maybe four, uh, and then just yeah, just go with that. It is, um, it, it's it's a, a a bizarrely lazy way to define the you know the actual quality for someone who who doesn't accept a pre-compiled version of FFmpeg. Um, I I don't know why I accept it in Aug Inc. But somehow I do, and I—it I, must be the results. The results are just generally okay with me, so I just go with it. But you can get in there and and adjust things. Dash dash resample. You could resample it down to a different uh, sample rate. Dash dash down mix. You can down mix it to uh, mono from stereo, which I I, I do that as well. I, I never release stereo because that's more audio than than you need to download really it's twice twice the amount of audio that you really need so yeah there there's there's quite a few things now the other thing that i use um in this og inc tool chain are the metadata options which provide comments so the og vorbis format as i recall and i, I haven't looked at the spec lately, but as I recall, the AUG Vorbis format essentially has one field or, or one one place for, for metadata. And as you probably know, just from having been alive for the past couple of years, you probably know that, that digital audio files typically have lots of metadata around them. For instance, the artist 
the album, the track title, the track number in the context of the album, the copyright year, maybe the type of audio it is, and so on. Og doesn't have a space for all that stuff. It doesn't do ID3 tags. What Og Vorbis does is it provides a a comment or, or a description field, and into that into that big bucket you can throw comments that are that are um, sort of labeled. So you can do dash dash artist and then the artist name Clatu, dash dash genre and then the genre name. So like I don't know podcast dash dash track num and then a track number three nine zero dash dash title new world order underscore three nine zero and so on. Uh, you do that and when you when you look at your og file in a in a media player, it knows to parse those comments because they're preceded by things like, you know, artist, colon, and track num, colon, and stuff like that, or title, whatever. Um, and it, it parses that and puts it into the correct uh, field, display fields on your, your music player. Now, you can also see that with Aug Info. So if I do Aug Info on Podwrite, Staging, GNU World Order, 38, here's 87.og, for instance, then I have user comments section follower follows description equals audio comment zero audio title equals gnu world order underscore 387 artist equals clatu genre equals podcast album equals gnu space world space order track number equals 387 comments uh, equals io stat mp stat c i f s i o stat tape stat sar sat f sad c terminus font and so on you get the idea so all of that is there it's embedded into the file and you can look at it with aug info now i'm going to do info aug info just to make sure that i haven't forgotten anything really important and i have not yeah og info is pretty much exactly what you expect it to be it it tells you stuff about your og file and and it it it's more than just the comment field i mean it tells you for instance that it is uh, vorbis headers parsed for stream 1 information follows version 0 vendor zif.org lib vorbis channels 1 rate 48000 why do i do that i should be down sampling this a little bit uh, nominal bitrate 96 kilobits per second, and so on. So you get a lot of inf information from Aug Info, and that's quite nice. Aug Inc. I think I've I've pretty much covered that now. I, I feel pretty good about what I've said about that. It's pretty straightforward. And now let's look at uh, VCut. VCut um, cuts Vorbis files. So this is a, another one of those little editorial kinds of of commands, you can do a vcut example.og, um, output underscore 0.og, output underscore 1.og, and then some cut point, which is a sample number. So this isn't seconds, this is actual samples. That's a little bit harder to calculate, uh, at least for me. I don't tend to think in samples. If, if anything, I think in frames, which I realize is not useful, but that's kind of, that was the training that I got. So um, the cut point is a, a sample number at which you want to split a file into two. So it's it's not an in point and an out point. It is it is the place where you want to to cut the file. Uh, there is also a op an option to precede your cut point by a plus with a plus sign. And if the cut point is prefixed with plus, the cut point is an integer number of seconds. So if you want to do vcut example.og out one dot og out two dot og space plus 10, then at 10, this 10 second point, you're going to cut your file into a 10 second clip and something longer. It's assuming your, your clip is 30 seconds. You get a 10 second and a 20 second clip. So that's V cut. It's kind of nice. Last but not least, we have Vorbis comment. 
This is a command to list or even edit comments in an OGVORBIS file. So this goes back to OGINC, where you've created dash dash artist, clatu, dash dash title, GNU World Order, dash dash whatever. And then you, you can view those with OGINFO. But if you want to view them and or comment, then you can use Vorbis comment. It, it, it allows you to read, modify, or append audio metadata. So why you would use OGINFO over this, I don't exactly know. I guess just because it's just like when you're doing socks, um, socksy instead of socks info. It, it's a shorter thing to type. You can, you can make Vorbis comment basically mimic OGINFO by doing a Vorbis comment dash dash list and then the path to the thing. So here's GNU World Order 387.og. There we go. And you get the 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 comment data um, out out of that file. Admittedly, I guess one one thing is that og, og info does give you a little bit more information because it, it gives you like the sample rate and and uh, I don't know peak values and things like that, or not peak, but maximum minimum values if that's been set, so on. So you do get, I guess, a little bit of extraneous information potentially from OGINFO if all you're looking for is the comment data. So I guess there's the advantage there. But like I say, Vorbis comment lets you edit this stuff too, or append and modify and so on. So if you wanted to, for instance, add a comment, uh, then you could do that. You could do Vorbis comment uh, space dash dash append space dash dash tag, and then in quotes, you would do, for instance, uh, let's say you're adding an artist, so it would be artist, all capitals, equals, clatu, close quote, and then it would be example.og, and now you have a new comment in your file. That's pretty much all there is to it. I mean, you kind of get the feeling for, for that command from what I've just explained, really. Um, you can do a dash dash write to replace comments with a new set, so if you don't want to append, you just want to kind of overwrite, you can do dash dash write. That's a useful thing to know, I guess. Um, I don't really use this all that often. I, I do use it, because I, I do have music uh, files that I listen to that are saved in AUG, and so sometimes I'll, I'll want to update them, because back when I first encoded them, way, way back when, I didn't have the correct comments, or I didn't have the optimal comments, whatever. So, so I, I do use it sometimes, but it is something that I, I typically have to look at the man page through the info application, of course, because I don't use man anymore. And that's it. That's the Vorbis comments, and it has also been the VBE tool, and of course Vim. That brings us to the end of this episode, and very, very, very close to being the end of the AP package set. At this point, we only have Workbone, XFS Dump, and ZSH left to go. It's three applications. That might just be one more episode, really, before we're out of the AP package set and into the D for development package set. Thank you very much for listening. Talk to you next time. listening to the GNU World Order OGCast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as OGCast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at clatu at member.fsf.org. That's clatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. 
And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time.